I, I wanted to just jump up and introduce Maureen. Some of you may not know her. Many of you do. She is our office administrator and does such a great job in that role. She's got a pastoral ministry background uh, years back and missions as well and is a blessing to our church when she unpacks the Word of God uh, occasionally with us in our Sunday gathering. So thanks for doing that, Maureen, today again. It is a privilege to do this. I'm thankful that Pastor Marlowe allows me this opportunity. So I have a question. Has anyone here ever had an encounter with a celebrity? Ever met a celebrity? A few of you. Awesome. Anybody ever meet a celebrity but not know that they were celebrities until after the encounter? Somebody, okay, that'd be me. Yeah, somebody told me afterward, do you know who that was? I won't even tell you who it was because it was like from some TV show back in the 70s, and so <clears throat> no one here will know that. <laughs> okay, you might. It was emergency. It was one of the main guys. Yeah. He lived in Burlington, Washington, right near where I grew up and where I was working. And he came into Sears and ordered something and spent like 10 minutes with him talking about mattresses and which one was the best and all this. And all my coworkers were over there going, and I had no idea why. And after I left, they're like, don't know who that was. And it was funny. Can't remember his name now. He was the blonde one. Okay. <laughs> Celebrity is fleeting, shall we say. What's in today is out tomorrow. And you don't remember one from the, you know, from one generation to the next. Have you ever watched that show, Battle of the Generations? It's fairly new on TV. It's a game show. Anybody watch that? Oh, yeah. It's kind of fun. They get people from four different generations, and they ask them all these pop culture questions. And then they say, you know, they, they play for, for money and, and, and whatever that. But it's, it's great fun as they have you know, the boomer who's, you know, 64, and they're excited. And they know all this stuff that... The person in Gen Z who was 17, one of the youngest ones, was like, never heard of that. And we're like, how can you not know this? This is a famous person, famous song. Well, it's kind of fleeting. And a lot of times people aren't recognized. Well, there's a story about a woman named Susan Taylor who was in uh, LAX, Los Angeles Airport, and flying home to visit uh, family in Wisconsin. And she went to the newsstand, and in front of her, she noticed, she just looked down and she noticed that the man in front of her had this immaculate pair of sneakers. They were like the largest and most finely crafted shoes she'd ever seen. She said, she remembered thinking that the success they wear must be somebody very successful to be able to afford shoes like that. They look custom made. So the man paid for his newspaper, and then he started pulling it apart and handing parts of it back to the cashier. And he saw Susan kind of looking at him, and he said, ah, I only read the sports section. She says, well, then we should share the paper because I read everything except the sports section, which is clear when you hear the end of the story. <clears throat> he uh, let out a quick laugh. He said, sure, handed her the rest of the paper and, and walked off with the sports section under his arm. And it wasn't until she turned to look at the cashier who was just laughing and going, that she realized she'd just met Michael Jordan. Well, Jesus came here in person to this earth to reveal the glory, grace, and truth of God the Father to us. When we recognize who Jesus is, actually recognize him and receive him, we're filled with that same grace, and we can know God personally. Not like the celebrities that are way up there, but personally know him. If you've been here in the last uh, two, three weeks now, I guess we've been working through the book of John in the Bible. And the first nine verses talk about who Jesus is. He uses things like he's the word. It's the primary title given to him in, that, uh, in those nine verses. Also eternal. He's from the beginning. He's God, creator, 
life, light. So we're going to read on today in verses 10 to 18 and, uh, and read a little bit more about who, the, who Jesus is and recognize how we can recognize him in our world, in our life today. Starting at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is God himself and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We're going to go through this kind of verse by verse or a couple verses at a time and just break this down and see what God is saying through the writer of this book, John. He was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own and they did not receive him. So Jesus arrived in the world that he had created. You would think his creation would recognize him, the people that he had created, but they didn't even recognize him. Now, people who are not from the Jewish nation, who were called Gentiles, they could perhaps be you know, excused for not recognizing him because they didn't have the teaching of the last 4,000 years that the Jews had. The Jews had known that this Messiah is coming, for 4,000 years. He was first prophesied about in the Garden of Eden, and it was prophesied about many, many times since then. And yet, John 1.10 doesn't say that the Jews, his own people, didn't recognize him. It says they didn't receive him. It's one thing to recognize who Jesus is. It's another thing to acknowledge who he is, to receive him personally, moving from the head acknowledgement to the heart of receiving. There are likely people listening to me today who are on both sides of that. Maybe you don't really know who Jesus is. You don't recognize him. Now, maybe you do recognize him. You know he's the son of God, but you haven't received him, allowing him to change your life and your eternal destiny. You don't have a personal relationship with him. And to every one of us who does recognize Jesus, who has received him as our Lord and our Savior, we need to continually be getting to know him more and more. You'll never get to know him entirely in this life. There's no end to the learning and the getting to know. Verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Jewish people thought they were already God's children without Jesus. John addresses this in John 8, 42, 43, and, and a bit into verse 47. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear me is that you do not belong to God. The world sometimes tries to tell us that everyone is a child of God, but that is not what the Bible teaches. You are not children of God just because you believe in God. You only become a child of God by receiving and believing in the name of Jesus. Then he gives you the right to be a child of God with all the privileges and responsibilities of being a child of God. Throughout his writings, John is clear that Jesus is God. You're going to hear that over and over again as we go through the book of John. He is equally clear that the only way to know God is through Jesus. Jesus himself said this. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot claim to know God without accepting that Jesus is both God and the Son of God. It is only through Jesus that you have the right to be a child of God and the privilege of knowing God personally. The Jewish nation did not accept Jesus. The world did not recognize him. But still, there were individuals who did accept him. Despite being unrecognized by the very people he created, Jesus offers us the right, the right to be called children of God, to become children of God. Even though he is unrecognized, we become recognized by God himself through Jesus. God's plan for relationship between humans and Jesus was always meant to be individual. You don't become a child of God because you were a human created by God. You don't receive the rights of a child of God because of the country or the family that you were born into or because you attend church or because you do good works. Becoming a child of God is an individual choice to receive Jesus and to believe in his name. Our Eaglemont Church mission statement includes this phrase about knowing God. This is our statement. Eaglemont Church is committed in simplicity to knowing God, loving people, and serving the world. The foundation for a life of love and service to others is first knowing God. There are many people out there in the world who are trying to do good works and acts of service out of whatever they think is the kindness of their heart or they're trying to earn their, their way to salvation or get people to like them or whatever it may be, make up for their own shortfalls, uh, shortcomings in their life. But no, the foundation for truly loving and serving is knowing God. And when we receive Jesus, we come to know the God of the universe personally and eternally. But just like the Jews who may have recognized Jesus but chose not to receive him, it's sad that many professing Christians don't actually know Jesus. I know this has been said many times from this stage by myself and many other speakers, but I'll say it again. How do you get to know God or get to know Jesus? Well, the same way you get to know anyone, by spending time with them. We have the added advantage of the Bible, God's written word to us, which reveals who he is. A 2023 survey by the Pew Research Center 
shows that only 63% of evangelical Christians read their Bible at least once a week, not even daily, 63%. Now you might think, well, that's good, it's over 50%, but let me tell you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and your heart's desire is to know Jesus so that he can transform your life, that you can live your life in service and love to others according to his will, you need to know him and you need to know his word. Our aim should be for daily reading the Bible. And I say aim because I know life happens and doesn't always happen every day, but make that the goal. Now, I know that sometimes reading the Bible can seem like a really daunting task, and even the whole thing of spending time with Jesus. I mean, what does that look like? What do you actually do when you're sitting there with an invisible being? What do you do? Well, two great places to start without getting into details today and giving you all that good stuff. There's a three-by-five challenge and daily time with God booklet that our pastoral staff has put together. Both of them are available on eaglemont.church/resources or at the table at the back of the gym right over here on this side. You can pick up a copy of them. Those things will help you work through what to do in that quiet time of getting to know Jesus and how to read the Bible. Moving on to verse 14, one of the key verses in this passage. The Word became flesh and, was, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is evidence of God's great desire for relationship with us and to be known by us and to know us. He sent Jesus, his son, to earth to live among people and show us who God is. We need to first note the connection here in this verse between the word and the son. Some of you may be listening this morning and trying to follow along and having difficulty understanding how we know that the word in the first part of John and parts of the verses I'm reading now is actually Jesus. How am I making that leap? Well, verse 14 is the first place that John is clear that the Word is also the Son, same person. And that this Son, this Word, came from the Father. Father, in, throughout the Bible, even in Old Testament, Jewish times, Father, referring to Father God, always talking about God. In verses 17 and 18, which we'll unpack a little bit later, it is clear that Jesus is the Son and God is the Father, and that Jesus is God. I know, hard for our minds to wrap around all of this, but it's true. We'll unpack that all a little bit later, but verse 14 is the first time in our journey through the book of John that the identity of the word is confirmed. It is the Son. The Son is also Jesus, confirmed later. Let's look at some of the phrases in this key verse. The word became flesh. This is a historical, factual statement. Even people who are not Christians, far from it, acknowledge that Jesus, as a historical figure, lived, walked on this earth. Self-professed, agnostic, and humanistic scholar Bart Ehrman is one of them. He says, let me tell you, there is no scholar in any college or university in the Western world who teaches classics, ancient history, New Testament, any related field, who doubts that Jesus existed. Jesus is a real historical man who lived on earth during a specific period of about 33 years. He is also the word eternal who became a human being. He is fully God and fully human at the same time. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born as a human. 
He already existed eternally as God, the Son. And he exists to this day, always will, as God the Son. He took on a human form for a period of time, but that was not the beginning of the existence of Jesus. Let's look at the phrase, made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling here can also mean tented. He tented among us. And it harkens back to the tabernacle of Israel in the Old Testament. Tabernacle was a giant tent that served as kind of the first church, if you want to think it that way. This is where God dwelled among his people, the nation of Israel, as they traveled. Well, now, with the arrival of Jesus, God offers us the privilege of allowing him to dwell in us. And then in Revelation 21.3, we read, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is a description of heaven. See, God first dwells in a physical location in the tabernacle, then within each human who accepts Jesus, and then finally in heaven with all the people who have accepted Jesus. Look at the phrase, we have seen his glory. What is glory? Well, the Greek word used here is constantly used to either designate all the attributes of the Godhead, that's God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or to indicate any one or more of the uh, attributes of God, a manifestation of them. So what are some of the attributes of God that constitute his glory? This is only a few. There can be love, grace, mercy, compassion, Wisdom, knowledge, power, divinity. John tells us that all of these attributes and more are seen in the person of Jesus. It's another testament to the fact that Jesus is God. He consists of all the attributes that make up the glory of God. God was fully revealed in all his glory in the person of Jesus Now, as I mentioned before, in this verse, John makes it clear that Jesus is the Son of God, coming to us from God the Father himself. And then John uses this most wonderful phrase to describe what Jesus was like. Full of grace and truth. Full. Full. All that was in Jesus and all that shone forth from him was grace and truth. Nowhere do we see that more clearly what the grace of God means than in the fact that the word became flesh. God's grace poured out in Jesus to us. What is grace? Well, a common definition of grace is undeserved favor or unmerited favor. It's not a word that we use very commonly in our society, but you can think of some ideas of what grace would be. Sometimes um, it, it can just be a small thing. If you let somebody cut in front of you in line, if it's done with the right attitude, that's showing grace. But the grace that Jesus brings is so complete and full and perfect that it's hard to comprehend it. He brings a never-ending stream of grace that is central to our salvation. Without grace, there is no salvation. Without the grace of God that came through Jesus, we would never be redeemed And never have that personal relationship with God. Never have eternal life in heaven without the grace that came through Jesus. Grace brings pardon, justification, and it brings us the adoption into God's family, the right to be the children of God. It gives us a free and unmerited gift, forgiveness of our sins through Jesus. 
But truth is also linked with grace. They're intertwined. To be fully complete in the person of Jesus, you need grace and truth. What is biblical truth? In the biblical sense, we define our words by what the Bible says. What is biblical truth? From the website evidenceandanswers.org, they put it this way. Biblical truth is absolute. God's truth is absolute, meaning that it is true without exception and it does not change. Beliefs change, but truth itself is unchangeable. God is the author of absolute truth because he is eternal and his character does not change. Truth is Jesus. Jesus is truth. Truth is the reality of God's will, his purpose, his plans for our lives. But we need truth and grace together. See, grace without truth can lead us to excuse our sin. But truth without grace leans toward legalism. Together, Jesus is the completion of truth and grace, the truth that holds us to God's perfect standards and the fullness of grace that redeems us when we fall short of those standards. You know, it's unthinkable to some people, and, and Muslims are one of them, one group of people, that God would come to earth as a human. It's just too much of a leap for them to uh, even imagine that God would become a human being or that he would ever want to dwell among us. They believe that God is too holy to ever stoop to become a human. And there are people outside Islam that certainly think this way also. But God becoming a human is not in any way diminish his holiness or his deity. What it does is demonstrate his great love for us. His desire to be known by us and to know us and to have relationship with us. I've seen the sadness of this religion and lives that don't have grace and truth. When people don't recognize who Jesus is, they miss out on the thrill of observing his glory and experiencing grace and truth in their lives. Moving on to verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, John is not referring to himself in the third person in this verse. He's recalling the words of John the Baptist. We met up with John the Baptist earlier in the first nine verses of John. John was called John the Baptist because he baptized people. The John who wrote this book is often called John the Apostle or Apostle John. So John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry here on earth. John the Baptist recognized the Messiah was coming in his lifetime. And he went out and told people, get ready, repent of your sins, be baptized to show that you are repenting of your sins, and be ready because the Messiah is coming. He baptized them as an outward dis uh, display of their repentance that happened on the inside. Well, then one day it finally happened. Jesus came to John to be baptized, not because Jesus had any sin to repent of, but to, in order to uh, be a sign to everyone else that he is the Messiah. John recognized right away that this is the one that he had been talking about. This is the one that he'd been telling people to expect, the Messiah, the Savior. He says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Let's break it down. Jesus came after John the Baptist. 
Jesus' ministry on earth started after John's ministry on earth started. But Jesus surpassed John in every way because Jesus was God, is God. Jesus was perfect, sinless, full of the glory of God in every way of more importance than John. And John knew that, and he was fine with that. Funny, John says Jesus was before him. And we're back to the eternalness of Jesus, the existence of Jesus through all eternity. John the Baptist recognized this. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God and has always existed as God has. John the Apostle, the writer of this book we're studying, said that the world came into existence through Jesus. John the Baptist recognized that same eternalness of Jesus. So why did John the Apostle include this quote from John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist could corroborate what John the Apostle had been saying up to that point, that Jesus existed in eternity, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is God here on earth. These truths are not just something that the Apostle John made up. These truths were also declared by John the Baptist. And so he quotes him as further evidence of the eternal divinity of Jesus, the Word. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. You can read this as a continuation of verse 14. You'll see that verse 15 is in, in uh, parentheses. That's the way it's written in our Bibles. That is kind of an aside that, that John threw in. So back at verse 14, we hear, we read that Jesus became flesh and he showed us the glory, grace, and truth of God. So now in verse 16, we read that out of that fullness that exists in Jesus, we receive grace. This is a continuation of the right to be children of God when we receive Jesus. This phrase, grace in place of grace already, already given, is uh, translated in other versions of the Bible as grace for grace or grace upon grace. The Greek preposition used carries with it the idea of a continuous exchange. We never run out of God's grace. Day after day, there is a new supply that takes the place of the grace that's already given. It's a flowing stream always fresh, always new, of God's undeserved love towards sinful people. His all, he is always offering salvation through Jesus Christ. This is the grace that justifies us, sanctifies us, glorifies us. Author R.C.H. Lenski says, grace is the chief characteristic of the entire gospel of Christ of the entire Christian religion, the center of the mystery unknown to the world revealed in Jesus Christ, grace. This is the exciting part for us. This is the fullness of receiving the right to be children of God. This is transformation. We don't have to keep trying to do things to make ourselves better or to have a right standing with God or make God love us more. Knowing God through Jesus brings transformation from the inside out in our lives. As we walk in relationship with God, we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus, having more character that is like Jesus. We have this unending supply of grace that enables us to know God and to, and to experience that transformation from the inside out. What a gift! to develop character like Jesus through the grace offered from God. 
Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Now the law refers to the code of behavior that was given to the Israelites centuries before by God through Moses. The written law is all that the Jewish people had as a method of trying to know God or become right in his eyes. They were still living by this code, this written law, at the time that John wrote this book. For them, it was the only way to know God, following rules laid out in the law. But John's whole defense and explanation of this new way of living and of knowing God based on a relationship with Jesus Christ hangs on this distinction between the law and grace. Grace and truth were given through Jesus, or grace and truth are Jesus. Moses was an instrument through which God gave his law to be written down and taught, but Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. He is the word. There was a written word given by God through Moses, but now comes the word in the person of Jesus, no longer just a written code, but a person who embodies the very law fulfilled through grace and truth. Because through Jesus, there is no more doing to try to get right with God. Jesus has already done everything needed to be right with God. All that you need to do is recognize that you need forgiveness for your sins, that you have sinned, you continue to sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God, anything that is apart from God's holiness. And when you recognize that and you recognize your need for Jesus, you come to him, you receive him, and then the transformation begins, not through following the rules and laws written down, but through the transforming power of Jesus Christ in you. My friend Vic posted this on Facebook this past week, just in time for my message. He says, change does not come from rules and regulations. It comes from a transformed heart. Do you want a changed life? Are there things in your life that you need to see differently? Things that you just need a, a break from? I've always been this way. It's just who I am, but I don't like it. You need to be transformed by Jesus. And let me say this, that message is not just for those who have never received Jesus. I recall sitting in a church service at one time, feeling very confused and down, stuck, lacking freedom in my life, and I had accepted Jesus as my Savior and had endeavored to live for Him since I was a child, and yet I was still in that position. And I remember a pastor getting up and he said, do you feel stuck? Do you feel like you need freedom in your life? Do you, and all these, I was like, yes, yes, that's me. He says, you just need to receive Jesus. I thought, I got Jesus. Why do I still feel this way? Because there's a depth of relationship that needs to grow and grow and grow and grow through your life. Was I walking close to Jesus? Was I choosing Jesus over my own selfish desires and sinful desires? No. So no wonder I felt that way. When I came humbly back to Jesus and said, I need to be transformed from the inside out. I need my thoughts to change. I need my desires to change. I need a desire planted in me to want to do the will of God. And the Bible tells us that is why Jesus came, to give us a heart that wants to do the will of God. 
And when I did that and began to walk daily, daily with Jesus through his word and through time with him, the transformation began and it continues to grow in me. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus is how we know God. It is only through Jesus that you can know God. As we said, Jesus made it clear himself, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no pathway to spirituality that you can create that will bring you close to God. Whatever you may be feeling as you walk through some other path of spirituality is not God, the Heavenly Father. There are other spiritual beings out there that you may feel the presence of as you walk down some other spiritual pathway apart from Jesus. But I will tell you that those spiritual beings are not the loving, holy God who created you and wants to have a relationship with you. You can only experience that presence through Jesus, through receiving Jesus and walking with him. Several years ago, Mark Buchanan, a Christian pastor and author, wrote this in a Christianity Today article I also found in several other sources on the internet. Arthur Burns, a Jewish economist of great influence in Washington during the tenure of several presidents, was once asked to pray at a gathering of evangelical politicians. Stunning his hosts, he prayed, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then most stunning of all, he prayed, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus came in person to reveal the glory and grace and truth of God the Father to us. When we recognize who Jesus is and we receive him, we are filled with that same grace and we can know God personally. Perhaps today is the day that you need to recognize that Jesus exists. He is the son of God and he is God himself. His existence is a historical fact. Perhaps you recognize that Jesus is real, he's the son of God, but you've never received him as your personal savior. You've never asked him to forgive your sins and be the leader of your life. Today, you can do that. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and just before that, I'll have people close their eyes, and I'll ask if that's you. You want to receive Jesus today to raise your hands. So think on that for the next minute or so. Now, some of you might be in a season of life where I, like I once was, where although you've received Jesus, you're having a hard time recognizing him in your life. Where is God in the middle of your circumstances? How is he working? Where is his presence? Where is his love? Well, today I encourage you to get quiet before God. Get humble before God. And be honest before God. Tell him that you can't feel him, you can't see him, you don't know where he is, you can't recognize Jesus in your life. 
he can handle that. And then ask him. Ask him to reveal to you any sin that may be keeping you from walking in that close relationship with Jesus that he desires you to have. Ask him to allow you to feel his presence. It may not be sin that's keeping you. God sometimes hides. There's a whole message on that on our website. You can look for that, When God Hides. But take time today to be quiet before God and just ask him to fill you with his presence. Let him know you're having a hard time recognizing Jesus. We're going to take a moment to pray. So I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. We do this just so there's no one looking around. You can focus on God this way. There's nothing magical about it, but it does help you focus your thoughts on God. In this moment, if there is anyone here who today would like to take that step of receiving Jesus as your Savior, the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sins, if that's you today, can you just slip your hand up a little bit? Let me see who you are, that honesty and transparency that says, God, I need Jesus. Is there anyone? I thank you for that. Yes, at the back. Thank you, ladies. God desires that close relationship with you. He wants Jesus to be your friend and part of your life, the forgiver of your sins as you come and ask him for that. The angels in heaven, it says, rejoices when someone comes and says, I accept Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you want that relationship with us so much that you sent your son here to the earth. God, we recognize Jesus. We receive him. God, I pray for those who have indicated today that they want to receive Jesus. Right now, God, as so I speak to you and just say, I need Jesus to forgive me. We know that you come and now you live your presence fully in them, full of grace and truth. God, for each one of us who just needs day by day by day this relationship with you to grow. We need to feel your presence. We need your wisdom to walk through each day. I pray that you would be real to each person here this week. They would know your presence. They would recognize you at work in their life. And we'd feel your love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.